is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grunhafer. Welcome in to the BearCast. I'm your host, Grayson Grunhafer. We do not have Craig Smoke today, so I'm going to be taking you through this episode today. Craig will be back next week, um, and we will talk about all things fall camp and just things moving forward uh, when he gets back. Today, though, we're talking fall camp. I'm going to do a little preview, uh, talk about my biggest questions at each position, as well as my most important player at the start of fall camp for each position as well. Uh, it starts Thursday, so we're going to preview that. We're also going to talk about Junior Day, which happened this weekend, a, a nice end-of-summer Junior Day event uh, for this Baylor staff as they try to gear up for the 2025 class as well as 2026 class Um as well, so yeah, lots of news and notes from that weekend. A very exciting weekend, I think, for uh, the Baylor staff and their recruiting efforts. I also got to see some of the commits who attended Baylor camp as well. So I'll give a little update there, um, and then also Colorado to the Big Twelve. Um, that's going to be another big news item. Uh, I do feel like we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. We'll start with fall camp, and then of course we'll wrap it all up with the Bearcast. So fall camp. As I mentioned, it starts on Thursday, a very exciting time. I know a lot of the players are excited to get things going and get things started as everyone, I think, is just trying to move on from the 2022 season. Uh, it did not go according to plan, and now it's all about regrouping, putting a better product on the field, and just being, I think, more comfortable with where they're at as a program. And I know Baylor fans are really intrigued by it as well. Uh, big season coming up for the Baylor Bears, and it starts in just over a month, that September 2nd contest against Texas State. So how we're going to do it today, we're going to go through each position. I'm going to have my biggest question and my most important player at the position. Some will be much quicker than others, um, but I'll add a little context and just my reasonings for it. So without further ado, let's get it started. We'll start with quarterback position. Uh, the most important position and the most polarizing position on Baylor's depth chart, I feel like. Uh, you got Blake Shapin and Sora Robertson there, and I, I think that you know we're going to see a lot of things this fall. We're going to try to figure out you know how much better Sora Robertson got. You know where's Blake Shapin at in his development? But I think my biggest question at this position is kind of going to be one that is more so you know when you put them in a poll of Big Twelve standings, Big Twelve quarterbacks. Where do they rank? And I think that's the biggest thing. Blake Shapin needs to find a way to be inside the top five. If he can be inside the top five, then Baylor's going to reach every expectation they have for themselves this year. And thus, if he performs well in fall camp, we should know that at least the ceiling is there for him to get to that point. I know a lot of people are going to say that's not possible after what we saw last year, but I still believe it is in the cards for him that he could be a top five quarterback in the conference this season. That's my biggest question mark. He is also the most important player as well. Pretty self-explanatory there. Uh, I'm intrigued by Sora Robertson to see what he can do, uh, see if he's improved uh, and adjusted to Baylor's offense after coming from an air raid scheme at Mississippi State. Um, but in general, this is going to be all about Blake Shapin for the most part at the start of fall camp. Moving on to running back. Uh, I actually mentioned this question a little bit on the board uh, this week, but my question really comes down to this. Is the running back core going to be more similar to 2021 or 2022? Uh, I guess explaining that a little bit more is in 2021, it was Abram Smith, Treston Ebner, and that was pretty much it. You know, you had the running of Gary Bohannon, so I guess he figured in there a little bit more um, than Blake Shapin will, of course. But in general, your two ball carriers were your two workhorse running backs. Moving on to 2022, it was just this mix and match due to injuries. So you had Richard Reese, Squirrel Williams, Quaylen Jones receiving a very heavy workload. So going into this year, is it going to just be Dominic Richardson and Richard Reese? Or are we going to see a third guy like a Quaylen Jones or a Bryson Washington step into a large role? 
I'm not talking about just like having a, you know, a couple goal line carries here and there, coming in on third down and, you know, pass blocking. I'm talking about having a legitimate role, actually getting carries and being someone that they're counting on to, you know, carry the football every single day. Um, For me, I think it's going to be more similar to 2021, but in general, it's a big question that I do have uh, for this team. Uh, My most important player at this position is actually Dominic Richardson. I know Richard Reese is getting all the hype, all the publicity, as he deserves. He had an amazing freshman season. But I do think what Dominic Richardson brings to the table with his physicality uh, and the possibility of being a true workhorse back at his size uh, makes him very intriguing and makes him the most important player at running back. Moving on to wide receiver, um, my biggest question here is, Not so much who's going to start, and I know on the uh, premium side of things, I did talk about who's going to be the third starter, but it really is mainly about who's going to be the third guy that steps up into a large role and really just assumes this third wide receiver role. It's not necessarily who starts, even though you you could point it like that, Um, but I think you got Keytron Jackson, you got Monterey Baldwin, right? Those two are locked in. They're going to be fixtures in this offense, and they're counting on them to be really, really good. So who's going to be that third guy? Will be Hal Presley. Will be Jordan Neighbors. Will be Josh Cameron. Um, Will be a surprise guy like an Armani Winfield. We don't really know the answer to that yet, I don't think. And we all have our opinions. We all have our thoughts on it. But I still think it's a very big question and one that hopefully we get answered in fall camp. My most important player at this position is Keetron Jackson, though. Uh, if he reaches his ceiling, um, I think this offense will go to a whole nother level. I think we know what we got with Monterey Baldwin. We all saw it last year, what he can bring to the table, what he can do. But I think Keetron is kind of an unknown, right? And so he's the most important player uh, at the wide receiver position. Moving on to tight end, uh, you got a very interesting room here with some veterans and Jake Roberts and Drake Dabney. You got Kelsey Johnson, who played some last year, and then a bunch of young guys. Um, for me here, it's mainly about, you know, are Jake Roberts and Drake Dabney, are they good, solid tight ends, or is one of them truly a difference maker at the tight end position? Um, if I were to bet on it, I would bet that Drake Dabney could reach that but I do think, in general, both of these guys are good options. I think they will be good for Baylor. And we saw from last year, you know, they were good, but once they hit injuries, they didn't have the depth to sustain. I think they actually have that depth now. Um, most important player here is, in my eyes, Drake Dabney because of the upside, because of what he could bring to the table at the tight end position, because he could be their third best receiver. It's possible. Um, that's it for the tight end position. Let's flip over to the offensive line now. I think in general, up front here, you got Clark Barrington, who is this new guy who everyone's talked about a lot, and I know I have. I've talked about him a ton. He's a very, very intriguing prospect. He's going to be playing the center position for Baylor here. Um, Very intrigued by that, and I think he's a guy who could potentially... Give me a minute, Gary. <clears throat> chime in, chime in on the offensive line real quick for me. Yeah, so the offensive line is going to be intriguing. This is a an area that I feel like took a step back last season, and I was talking with Jack about this yesterday on the uh, College Chaos podcast. I feel like we're going to learn who the real Eric Mateos is this season as he brought in his own guys. Every person along this line are people that he hand-selected out of the transfer portal. Can we get it more cohesive? Can we get this group to work together and get back to the that road-grade uh, mentality they had as they headed into the uh, uh, against Georgia that year? And that's what I'm intrigued for when I see this offensive line. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think you know my biggest question mark in this entire group is how quickly do they get in sync? Right, because I think when we sit here and we look at this group, we look at the offensive line, we look at the guys that they brought in, I think that you have to mix and match that with guys that are kind of coming into their own, right? So like Tate Williams, you know, is he going to really emerge? Or what is Tate Williams at this point? And is he really going to thrive in this offense? I think you also have questions when you look at Elijah Ellis, Caden Siraki, um, I think these questions need to be answered, and I think that the cohesiveness of this group, if it comes together quickly, I think they could be really good. But the question is, how quickly do they come together? Will it be the first game of the year, or will it be later in the season? Uh, Overall, though, I have high hopes in what Eric Mateos can bring to the table. 
My most important player at this position, as I mentioned, uh, Clark Barrington. I do think he is the guy on this offensive line who could actually be an all-Big 12 guy. Uh, Therefore, he is the most important on the offensive line. Moving on to the defensive side. Um, The defensive line, this group is one that has a lot of transfers, but then it's also got two very high-end guys. When you look at TJ Franklin and Gabe Hall, uh, high-end is in. They've been at Baylor a long time. They've performed at a level that I think fans would be happy with, but I also think there's another level that they could reach. And so for that reason, it's a nice mix and match here. They got some young, talented guys as well. My question for this group really comes down to the nose tackle position. Uh, do they have a true nose tackle? They lost up Puika last year. Uh, they got Trevin Maya uh, to come in from Oregon. He'll play some nose. You got Jarrell Boykins, who's a Juco transfer. And then you have Trey Emery. And Boykin should be back at some point during fall camp, but he's been dealing with an injury since the spring game. And then Trey Emery probably won't be back until a little bit later on in the season. So the depth is going to be a concern there. I do think you'll see some rotations, potentially Gabe Hall playing nose tackle as well. But I think in general, that middle spot, what kind of play do they get there? How much do they utilize it? And how good is it? How much can they rely on it? Big question for me up front. Uh, Most important player here, um, you know, I could go with the theme of nose tackle, but I truly think that I got to go with TJ Franklin here. And it's really tough between him and Gabe Hall, but TJ just got rave reviews all spring. And when you look at a guy who had over 20 sacks during spring football, that raises your eyebrows. That makes you think, oh, you know, what could the possibilities be in 2023? And I think that TJ Franklin is a guy that if he emerges and really plays like he did in the spring, uh, you could see a situation where he is very, very capable in the 2023 season and maybe a true difference maker. Whereas I think in the past he's been reliable, but I don't think a true difference maker for this team. Moving on to the linebacker position here. Um, let's start with the interior linebacker. We'll separate them from the Jacks at this moment. Um, you got Matt Jones, you got Mike Smith, right? Uh, these two guys are pretty much entrenched as the starters. Um, very intrigued by both of them. Uh, but I think my question here is, you know, I, I think it really just comes down to how good are Mike Smith and Matt Jones actually? You know, I think we all should have that concern and that question mark, regardless of what we've seen in the past or what we've heard, right? Because there's still concerns there. You know, Matt Jones was okay last year. I felt like there were times where he wasn't good, and then there were times where he was really good. Now, which player is he? Is he going to lean more towards the really good sides, really good moments, or the, you know, not so great moments? That's going to be a question for me. We've heard great things. But we'll see if it's there. Mike Smith, on the other hand, we haven't gotten to see in a Baylor jersey. We've heard rave reviews. But again, you know, how good is he? Is he a stat sheet stuffer or is he an impact player? Uh, two very different questions in my eyes there uh, for those two. Thus, my most important player here is going to be Matt Jones. And the reason for it is it's time, right? Matt Jones, everyone's talked about him. Every coach that's been at Baylor to coach linebackers has talked about Matt Jones, the ceiling that he has, the potential that he has, um, and just that he is a really good player that is maybe underappreciated, but I think at some point we need to see it more consistently on film. Now, if we do see it, then I think this unit could take a huge step because I trust what Mike Smith brings as a leader, and I trust that he'll be solid, but can Matt Jones truly reach his peak and reach his ceiling? Moving on to the jack position, this is a position that has Garmin Randolph, who's returning as a you know bona fide starter for this lineup, and a guy who I, I think once again hasn't quite reached his ceiling yet. Um, and then you got Byron Vaughns, the Utah State transfer, and those two guys are pretty much going to be uh, the two guys that are going to play Jack all season long. I like both of them quite a bit. My biggest question here is I, I think it really comes down to how productive are these two going to be when it comes to pass rushing? Like, are we going to get a season where these two guys combine for 10 sacks like they could? I mean, they're talented enough to do that. And if you combine these two and they have 10 sacks, I mean, you're looking at an elite jack room if you're able to get that. Now, if these two guys combine for like five sacks, that's just not quite where you want to be. So it's really, you know, how high is the upside? Are these guys going to be able to reach that ceiling? Um, 
or are they just going to be an okay group that rotates in and plays, you know, well, but not elite level football? Um, that's my biggest question there. I think most important player wise, uh, I'm going to go with Garmin Randolph. And while I think Vaughn's might come in really ready and he's definitely going to be a good pass rusher and I, I have high hopes for him. Garmin's been in this scheme for a long time now, and I feel like it's time for him to really emerge and take that huge step forward. Uh, I would say he's been good but inconsistent for most of his career at Baylor. Now, if he can put it all together uh, to go along with Byron Vaughn, who I do think is kind of a a sure thing with what you're going to get from him, uh, I think this unit could be very, very good. Um, Let's move to cornerback now. Uh, The cornerback position, uh, very interesting. Brought in two transfers. You got Utah State cornerback Ajani Carter, um, who is not on campus quite yet. Uh, Miami transfer Isaiah Dunson. And then you have Chateau Reed and Tevin Williams. I think that that group of four is who's in line to fight for the starting jobs uh, at this moment. Um, I think, I mean, my biggest question here is, you know, is Ajani Carter going to... I, I guess it really is, you know, when's he going to get on campus and is he going to be impactful right away? Like, will he be ready to go right away? I think that's the biggest thing with him. Uh, his film looks good. He looks very physical. Looks like a perfect fit for what Matthew Pallage is trying to do on the outside, trying to be more physical, play more press coverage, all of these things. Um, but they got to get him in the room. They got to get him acclimated to the Baylor program. And they got to get him installed in this defense quickly. Um, most important player here, you could go with a Johnny. I'm going to go with someone a little bit different. I'm going to go with Chateau Reed. And the reason for it is because he's gotten a lot of hype this offseason. Dave Randis talked about him quite a bit as a guy who's right now locked into a starting role. And that makes him very intriguing to me. And I think they do need someone who actually developed in the program to emerge at some point at cornerback. And Chateau Reed could be a candidate for that. Uh, I really like the guys behind him with Tevin Williams and Isaiah Dunson, so he's really going to have to work hard to hold on to that role. Uh, but if he does, I do think that's a, uh, a big bonus and a big benefit for this program. Moving on to the safety position uh, here. Um, this is a position that I feel like you got, once again, a lot of young guys. You got a group that I think a lot of people thought there would be a transfer added at some point, and there never was, which shows a lot of trust in what they have at the position. And the reason for it, I think, starts with Devin Lemire, um, who's my most important player here. Um, Devin Lemire is a returning starter, the only returning starter they have at the safety position, a guy who made a lot of plays last year until he was injured late in the season. A lot of people want to harp on what happened at the end of the year, but the fact of the matter is this guy played through a major shoulder injury and just kept playing and kept fighting uh, for this Baylor program. And I think that's really important to mention when you – look back at last year and you look at, you know, all the locker room problems that they have. You look at kind of not so much guys quitting, but I I do think at times guys being, you know, soft or not, you know, fighting to their potential. But then you look over and you see Devin Lemire playing with this horrible shoulder surgery and playing all these games towards the end of the year and just continuing to fight. And I think that does speak to the kind of leadership role that he does have on this team and in particular in the safety room. My biggest question at this position uh, really comes down to this. Uh, does their youth cost them? And what I mean by that is you look at Corey Gordon, you look at Devin Bobby, you look at Alfonso Allen, you see guys that are very, very young and guys that while I think we all believe in their ceiling and believe in what they could be, they're still very young. And Dave Randa chose to not attack the transfer portal, at least not yet, Uh, to add a older veteran safety to the room. He rolled with these young guys. That didn't work out more times than not last year, but will it work out at the safety position? And I think really that's just going to come down to the youth movement. You know, where are they at? And how do those guys fit in? And does their athleticism translate even though they're a little bit younger? Um, So that's pretty much it on the fall camp. Um, it starts Thursday. Like I mentioned, we'll have tons of coverage on the Sikkim 365 premium side, so be sure to check that out. Um, we'll have lots of news, articles, and of course, Craig and I uh, will recap the first week in a fall camp next week. Um, let's move over to junior day. So I went out, I went to camp in the morning, 
So Baylor had their last summer camp uh, at the end of July here, and some of the commits showed up. So Jaden Porter, Mason Dossett, Colton Siraki, Nate Bennett, Adam Schobel were all there. Uh, Nate Bennett, of course, 2024 quarterback commit out of California. He showed up, competed in the camp, uh, hung out a little bit after as well. Uh, Adam Schobel, the 2025 quarterback commit as well. So a really good group, really fun to watch these guys compete. Uh, Nate Bennett really, I think, proved some things, proved why he is um, the Baylor quarterback commit in the 2024 class, why Sean Bell uh, decided to go ahead and offer him. Um, It's very interesting. He was really set back last year at his high school, wasn't given the opportunities to succeed I think this year he will be given those opportunities. He played through injury last year, which really, I think, knocked his film significantly. Um, And then outside of that, you know, I think just this perspective of Baylor going to California and finding a guy who didn't have this huge offer list and taking a guy who doesn't have a bunch of Power 5 offers. And I think a lot of people were just kind of thinking to themselves, you know, this is the Baylor's eighth choice at the quarterback position. And, I think what I saw on Saturday gave me a lot of reassurance about what they saw in Nate Bennett. And Sean Bell went out to California twice, watched him throw, saw everything he needed to see in Nate Bennett, to be honest, to go ahead and offer him. And he's mobile. Uh, he's about 6'1". I think he's borderline 6'2". He's a little bit above 6'1". About 180 pounds. So still a long way to go for him. Development, getting in the weight room, getting stronger. Um but I was very impressed because I, you can see that he can move in his film. Very good pocket presence, can get outside the pocket, make throws on the run. But what I saw that was big on Saturday and something I, I really wanted to watch for was his accuracy and then his arm strength. And he was throwing the ball 55 yards into the end zone. But the thing of it was these weren't heaves. They were well-timed, accurate throws. And for me, that's huge to see because when you can, you know, you, if you can throw the ball 75 yards, that's awesome. But if you're thro- out throwing your receiver by 20 yards every time you throw the football, it doesn't matter how far you can throw it. We've seen that in the past. I, I mean, there's many quarterbacks that have gone to the NFL with huge arms and that hasn't worked out. Um, but with Nate, you could see when he was in that range, that, you know, 45 to 55 yards, which is about his range. He was accurate. He was dropping it in the bucket, and I, I felt like that was really, really encouraging to see. He also seemed very calm, cool, and collected on short throws. I was very accurate on those as well. So, um, you know, there are things that, you know, you're going to watch Nate, and you're going to say he's got a lot, long way to go weight-wise. He's got a long way to go, you know, height-wise. He's not the tallest guy. So there are things that, you know, don't make him an elite prospect, but there are things that when you watch him, you go, okay, I see how this translates to Baylor. He's also a great kid culturally, fits exactly what they're looking for. Um, Both his parents went to Baylor. Um, It's a very, very good fit in my eyes. Uh, Adam Schobel, the 2025 four-star quarterback commit out of Columbus. Uh, He was there as well. Uh, They got to meet each other for the first time, and Adam played really, really well uh, on the day, made some big throws, showed off his huge arm. Um, He's got a cannon an absolute cannon, and he'll work on the trajectory of his throws. He he throws a lot of his passes at 100 miles per hour, and that comes with age, right? You know, being able to to drop it over linebackers, being able to change your, your arm angle and change how hard you're throwing the football consistently, that's a big thing that does come with age, and, I mean, he's only going to be a junior. So I think we're going to see those improvements, but in general, everything you want to see. Solidly 6'3", um, and just a cannon. And you put that all together and you see a guy that I think can be very similar to what Austin Novosad was for Baylor in the 2023 class. I think Schobel has that kind of upside to be as good, if not better, uh, than Austin Novosad was. As far as the other guys, Mason Dossett spent a lot of time playing safety, which is what he'll play at Baylor. Um, You could see his speed. You could also see that he's still learning the position a little bit. Uh, I think this year is going to be huge for him to kind of learn and grow and develop as a true defensive back uh, since he played, you know, running back and wide receiver uh, last year at Ridgepoint and still has some ways to go, I think, um, from just the standpoint of getting comfortable as a defensive back. But I, I will say this. He had one where 
he was flat out beat by like five yards and the throw was actually a really good throw and it didn't matter because Mason was able to make up ground so quickly, uh, showed off his just amazing 100 meter speed and he's also a a hurdler as well. Uh, He'll be coming to Baylor to do track and football. Um, So a very impressive athlete and he showed off a lot of his range and his speed on the day. Uh, Jaden Porter, we've talked about him a lot. Very good wide receiver prospect. I really like him. I do think he's a four-star type prospect. He just has a lot of the vibes of like, he's that dude. You know what I mean? He believes he's that dude. He's the guy. And when you have that belief, it allows you to really go out there with not just a swagger, but it's a confidence, right? And he's very confident in what he can do. And I mean, frankly, he catches touchdowns at every single camp I go to. He gets open at every single camp I go to. And he's one of the prospects that I've gotten to see more than just about any prospect in this class. I'm very impressed with him once again. And Colton Siraki just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I think he fits exactly what Eric Mateos wants at the center position. Um, you know, Jacob Gall was great for them uh, at six foot, six one. But I do think they want their centers to be a little bit bigger, closer to like what Clark Barrington is at, around 6'3". And that's what Colton Strachey's going to bring to the table. He's already 6'3". I think he's already over 300 pounds as well. Um, so just a guy who's maturing very quickly, growing very quickly while maintaining his athleticism. Now outside of that, you know, we can go through a little bit of the junior day as well. They invited a lot of 2025 prospects and 2026 prospects onto campus and I was very impressed by the list of guys that they brought in I mean I I think I counted there were like eight four-star prospects on campus some of the best prospects in the state uh, arrived some really good ones you look at like Bernie offensive lineman Logan Schramm uh, he's a guy that I have very 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 highly rated in the 2025 class on the offensive line um, Duncanville offensive lineman Deshaun Bryant's another riser. Um, he's unranked right now, but I do think he's going to be a four-star, maybe even a five-star type. Very impressed with him. Uh, Fort Bend Christian edge prospect Max Granville. Uh, he had 20 and a half sacks last year at Fort Bend Christian. Just, I mean, you watch his highlights, it's obscene. It's really, really not fair. He's got all kinds of offers from Blue Bloods. He's going to be a tough one to land, but getting him on campus... That's a very, very good start uh, for the program. And Shadow Creek cornerback Kobe Sellers was also on campus. He's got some blue blood offers as well. Um, And he kind of fits that profile of what they need at cornerback. Uh, They've recruited that position, but they haven't had a ton of success early on from the guys that they have recruited cornerback. Um, So finding guys who really fit their profile and fit what Matthew Pallage is trying to do uh, with press corners, I think it's very, very important. And then Washington, Oklahoma tied in Nate Roberts, who in my eyes is kind of like a, I mean, he's like a borderline top three tight end in the entire nation. Um, absolutely crazy offer list. He's committed to Notre Dame right now, but his brother Jake does play at Baylor. Um, and honestly, for Nate to make that effort to come to Baylor this weekend when he's going to be at Baylor a ton during the fall to watch his brother Uh, It does speak volumes that he cares a lot about the Baylor staff and that he's open to continuing to build that relationship. Uh, He's a borderline five-star prospect for a tight end. He's like kind of right on par with what you would want from an elite tight end prospect based on stats, based on yards after catch, and based on his offer list. Very, very good one and one that I think Baylor will continue to fight for uh, throughout his recruitment. Uh, outside of that, I mean, it was a mix and match. They had wide receivers, running backs. Um, I think 2025 class will take quite a few wide receivers. Uh, they're a little light on that in the 2024 class currently. Um, they already have their quarterback committed. He was there as well. So in general, a really fun weekend. Uh, they recruited like crazy. Uh, 2026 class, they had a bunch of offensive linemen. They had like 10 offensive linemen in the 2026 class hanging out with Eric Mateo. So in general, I think this was a very fun weekend and a weekend that uh, should kind of set the stage a little bit, right, for what Baylor's trying to do in future recruiting classes. Um, And they found this little soft spot in the dead period where they were able to uh, take advantage and get guys on campus quickly. Uh, So that's it for the junior day. Um, Again, very, very good weekend. Let's move on to Colorado to the Big 12. So big storyline Obviously, lots of news, lots of information on the premium side of things. And of course, if you follow it on Twitter, social media, 
this has been something we've been talking about for months. I mean, it feel it honestly, it feels like a year that we've been talking about it as well. Um, Colorado officially made that move, unanimous vote by the Big 12 to add them. They're going to get a full share, a full revenue share in 2024. So they're a full addition to the Big 12 um, in 2024. Very exciting time, I think, for the Big 12. They made this move. Brett Yormark, very aggressive once again, went out, said expansion was going to happen, said they were going to be very aggressive when it came to expansion and really all it took was him just sitting back and just saying hey we don't believe the Pac-12 is going to have numbers we don't believe the Pac-12 can come to a media agreement that's actually going to keep their schools and in my eyes a lot of people are saying he's the aggressor and while he put out feelers for sure and had meetings this really just came down to the Pac-12 not being able to get a deal together like I think a lot of these schools, they wanted to keep everything together. But as time progressed, it became unfeasible. There was no way Colorado could stay in that conference knowing that they weren't going to, they were going to give up the kind of money they could make in the Big 12. Um, They had to make this move. And now it solidifies the Big 12 as the third best conference in the country. It also, I do think, you know, as we move forward, it's the first domino, right? So there's going to be more to come. It's going to continue to solidify this brand. Um, and the conference in general. And now it becomes a waiting game, right? So you got Deion Sanders, you got Colorado coming to the Big 12. Now everyone wants to know what's next. Well, right now it seems like Arizona is next. Uh, I would put that at very, very high odds of happening. Uh, They're having a meeting today, this morning actually, where they're going through the numbers of this media deal that we're going to see. I've heard rumors, I think Jason Shear posted, that there's going to be like three separate options of a media deal. What does that even mean? Like three separate options? Why not just like one good one? What 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 are, what are they doing? I have no idea what they're doing. I think if you throw three media deals at people, they're just going to be like, okay, so three means we don't have one. That's how I view it at least. And so we'll see how this progresses. We should know something relatively soon on Arizona. We should basically we'll know if there is no media deal. I'd put this at like 95% that Arizona is going to the Big 12. Like if you don't agree to something today or at least like when you see it, you're very intrigued by it. I don't know how you stay, right? Like how do you stay in this conference? I don't think it works out for them. I think they end up moving to the Big 12. Outside of them is where things get tricky because I think once they leave, that's where you have like Utah and Arizona State sitting there and going, hey, I think we might need to like press the issue here and really try our best to find a way into the Big 12. I don't think they're doing that right now. I think they're doing due diligence. They're trying to kind of get their ducks in a row and figure out, okay, what's next if this happens? But I don't think they've quite reached the point of you know being aggressive and going to Brett Yormark and saying, we want into the Big 12. I don't think they've quite done that at this moment. I think Washington and Oregon are kind of in that same boat. Conversations have happened, but they haven't made a decision on their future. Now, as far as the Big 12 goes, I think they would take Arizona, and then I think they're going to sit back and wait for Washington and Oregon to decide because I do think those are the two that they should want. I think it's the two that they do want. I don't think they necessarily need nor want Utah and Arizona State. I don't think they should. I think this is a game where you just wait You just sit back and wait. You got 14 teams. You wait for Washington and Oregon to decide what they want to do. Um, To me, I just think that just ends with them ending up in the Big 12. Personally, unless the Big 10 comes calling, and if they do, then okay, maybe the Big 12 takes Utah and Arizona State. But I think at this very moment, it just is one of those things where you you have all the leverage. The Pac-12 has no leverage here. The Pac-12 can't get a deal together. If they lose another school, how are these numbers going to work? SMU and San Diego State are not going to bump up those numbers at all. Um, yeah, I just it, it feels inevitable a little bit. Um, obviously with Arizona, but it feels inevitable that the rest of this conference, the, the teams that actually have brands that are worth something, it feels inevitable that they're eventually going to be outside the Pac-12 sooner rather than later. So that's why this Colorado news is really big. Obviously, getting a Big 12 program of the past back, that's pretty cool. Uh, Bringing in Deion Sanders, again, pretty cool. And the brand, 
You know, the brand is something Brett Yormark's talked about a lot. He finds their brand very intriguing. I think it's a brand that when you add in Prime, you add in the initiatives of Rick George and what he's been able to accomplish over the last few months, add, you know, bringing in Deion Sanders, now taking Colorado to the Big 12. He's done a lot of really good things, and I, and I think that does make Colorado uh, fairly appealing, obviously appealing enough for the conference to vote them in unanimously and appealing enough for Brett Yormark to vote yes on bringing them in, send the offer out, and now it's a waiting game. Again, by the end of this, I think Arizona will be in the conference sooner rather than later, and then it's just a waiting game on the other four who are the other two teams that join the Big 12. So that is it on Colorado, and I think that's it for Baylor notes specifically. Let's move into the mailbag. We actually have quite a few mailbag questions this week um, and some really good ones in my eyes. So let's try to go through some of these, and I'll give you all some answers if I can. Doc Crowell, uh, who is the number one recruit on the trail for the offensive staff right now? And then also the defensive side as well. Uh, offensively, it's Orem, Utah four-star uh, tight end, Roger Saliapaga. Um, Baylor's likely going to miss on their top tight end prospect, Dylan Hip. Um, he, I think, is going to choose Ole Miss this weekend over Baylor. Um, and Roger is probably the better prospect of the two. They just have been recruiting Dylan a little bit longer. Uh, but Roger Saliapaga's got offers from everywhere. I mean, he's got an Alabama offer, was just there this weekend. Uh, so he's a heavy, heavy target and a guy who's very, very good. He had 1,200 yards receiving from the tight end position last season. Defensively, it's Fort Ben Marshall, four-star safety Josh Lair. Uh, he visited uh, the first official visit weekend for Baylor. I believe it was June 6th, uh, June 5th, June 6th. And so uh, he's been a guy who's been a heavy target for them. They've, you know, they've went out, put a lot of resources into recruiting him, and Baylor doesn't really do that unless they really, really want a guy, especially when they have offers like this. You know, more times than not, Baylor's kind of of the belief that, you know, if a guy has this many offers and it's clear that he's not exactly interested in Baylor, they kind of move on. So I think it's very clear that Josh has heavy interest in Baylor and at least is very much considering them. And I think the Baylor staff has done a really nice job recruiting him and putting themselves in a position where, you know, you can actually battle with Texas and LSU uh, and A&M, at least for the time being. Uh, next question from Doc Crow. How do you get in touch with these recruits to the point of getting a feel for their recruitment? I mean, honestly, Doc, it's just conversations. Uh, I'm constantly having conversations with recruits, whether it's through text messages or uh, DMs or phone calls. Um yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much how I go about it. I just have conversations, and I just stay in constant contact. And as you do that, you build a better relationship. The recruit's able to, you know, feel more comfortable with telling you things because they know you're not going to burn them by, you know, putting stuff out there that you're not supposed to or that they don't want out there. And so as you develop those relationships and develop, you know, that kind of, you know, relationship with a recruit, it becomes much easier to do my job. So yeah, it's all about consistency and all about communication, to be honest. Um, uh, Doc asked, Craig, how does it feel to have something substantive to talk about on realignment now that things are actually happening? Um, well, Craig's not here. So, I mean, Garrett, do you want to answer this? So how does it feel to have something substantive to talk about on realignment now that things are actually happening i mean yeah we actually get to talk about football i guess but how do you feel about that i think it's uh i think it's key right like we've been you mentioned earlier we've been talking about this topic for over a year now and most of it i wouldn't say necessarily has been speculation because there's been substance to it but now that colorado has actually made this decision and came over it gives you more clarification and kind of an idea of where this is going to be moving forward it gives you more substance to dive into and actual facts to talk about so i think it's kind of like the reward that everybody's put in while nobody wants to see the pac-12 die necessarily i know there's a lot of big 12 fans out there that probably poking fun and rightfully so I mean at the end of the day rightfully so because of everything the Big 12 went through but I think it finally is just kind of like a reward that everybody's been waiting on and as once the other shoe drops we're going to have more substance to go on but I think it, it is something I know Craig was pretty excited about this last week when it finally was official and he could just kind of give his opinion and go in on it yeah I'm right there with you I, I think that you know actually putting something out there that is not just 
you know, relying on sources and, right. and bringing up, you know, what I'm hearing and more so what has actually happened is really cool. And I also think, you know, getting to talk about kind of the future of the conferences, I think that's really cool as well, because now that Colorado's locked in, it's kind of like, okay, you know, what does Dion look like in the Big 12? You know, what does Colorado bring? You know, are they going to be better than what they have been? Because let's be honest, since they've been in the Pac-12, it has been dire. I mean, I don't know that they've been they, – they haven't been Kansas bad. It's but been pretty bad. Pretty close. Yeah, it, it's been really, really bad. So I'm with you. I, I agree. I think that it's very nice to actually be able to talk about facts instead of sources. Uh, Master Pierce MPH. Um, imagine your Texas state or better yet week two Utah. How do you attack this Baylor squad on both defense and offense? What obvious points will these teams try to test hardest? Uh, our defensive backs pressure on shaping, uh, focusing on covering tight ends more in the RPO curious of your thoughts. So I think this is a very, um, this is a fun question for me, um, but I'm going to kind of answer it a little bit differently because Texas State and Utah have very different personnel, um, and the way they're going to attack Baylor is going to be very, very different. I think you know Texas State is really going to try to spread Baylor out. And so I, I, if I'm them, I run a lot of four wide receiver, maybe even five wide receiver sets to see if you can confuse the secondary. Uh, the problem for Texas State is going to be, can they hold up in pass protection if they're going to run things like that? Um, I think that's going to be tough for them, and that's why I think they're going to struggle against Baylor. I also I don't see Texas State being able to run the football against Baylor. Uh, they couldn't last year. I don't think they will this year. So in my eyes, their best chance at beating Baylor is honestly for their quarterback to probably throw for like 400 yards. Uh, if it's Malik Hornsby, there's no way he's throwing for 400 yards, but maybe he'll run for like 100 yards and make up for it in that way. Um, try to test Baylor's ability to cover running quarterbacks. Um, that's how Texas State's probably going to have to get it done. Now, defensively, if I'm Texas State, honestly, I'm probably putting eight guys in the box. And I'm going to just try my try everything to not get ran over. Because last year, Baylor ran over Texas State. Um, Richard Reese had a breakout game that day. And I don't think they want to see that again this week or that week. Um, man, week two. Um, Utah. So I think for Utah, if I'm Utah, honestly, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to look at here is the tight ends. I, you know, they lose Dalton Kincaid, but I still think they're very effective at the tight end position. And so for me, I would try to attack Baylor's linebackers uh, with one-on-one matchups with the tight ends. Um, the other area I would try to attack is right up the middle with inside zone runs, attack Baylor's nose tackles, attack what Baylor's going to have at defensive tackle as well, uh, and force those linebackers to make those plays in run support. That's kind of how I would do it if I'm uh, Utah. I would also come in with some four wide receiver sets as well. Again, I'm trying to do everything I can to test Baylor secondary and test Baylor up the middle running the football. Um, and I also think the unique thing with Utah, and again, I don't know if they're going to be able to do this as much, but Cam Rising's ability to run QB power is very intriguing, but he's coming off that injury. And so I don't know how much they're going to be willing to run him nor do I know how effective he will be running the football. But if he is effective, then I would utilize that a whole lot. Put Baylor's defensive ends in tough situations and see if you can take advantage of that. Thanks for that question, Master Pierce MPH. Uh, Scotty B. the Baylor King. Why are some Utah fans arrogant about not wanting to be in the Big 12? They shouldn't be arrogant, in my opinion, because Utah was in group of five power to pack 12. Utah even was in conference in D2 and D3 before the Mountain West. From 1892 to 1909, Utah was independent in football. Okay, well, thank you for that history lesson, Scotty B. That's, I mean, it's all facts, right? Everything that you're saying is very true. I think Utah, I don't, I, man, arrogant is such an interesting word. It feels... I think it feels like they've been arrogant because they haven't been as on board as like a Colorado or an Arizona, right? So everything when it comes to that screams arrogance, even though I don't necessarily think that it's... Honestly, I don't know that it has anything to do with the Big 12, and I think it has more to do with essentially allowing BYU to be right. 
Does that make sense? Like BYU chose the right conference, right? Utah is sitting there in a worse position than BYU. Who would have thought? Like on no planet would I have thought that, you know, five years ago, just with the state of these two programs. But now it feels like BYU is in a better position, and I don't think Utah fans want to admit it. Honestly, I think that's the biggest thing. I don't necessarily think they're arrogant about, you know, where the Big 12 is at compared to the Pac-12. I just think they're having a tough time with being kind of proven wrong and just ending up in a worse situation than BYU is at the very moment. That doesn't mean they're not going to end up in the Big 12, though. I could easily see that happening uh, if things go their way uh, moving forward. Uh, Alpha Needle. So I'm going to need your help with this one, Garrett. It's a... How would you rank the Big 12 quarterback room? So I just want you to, as I go down this list, okay, think about it in your mind, and you tell me if you agree with it or if you don't. Okay. okay? So at number one, I have Jalen Daniels. I think he is the most explosive offense playmaker in the Big 12 at the quarterback position. Um, I also think he does more with less on his team, if that makes sense. Any Any disagreement there yet? Um, I, I wouldn't put him number one simply because the injuries. Like, if if he goes – I think if you look last year at Kansas, when Jalen Daniels got hurt and Jason Bean came in, they were a totally different team. And given that everybody's going to have all eyes on Jalen Daniels, I'm not saying – there's just – the way they run that offense and the way he plays, There's a, I know everybody's got at risk for injury. I feel like he's more susceptible to being injury, injured, and I do not like his backup compared to other rooms in the Big 12. I'd be, I would keep him probably in the top three, mm-hmm. but I, I would probably put Will Howard and Avery Johnson, what they have up there at Cage State, number one if it was me. Okay, so I have Will Howard at number two. Of the the Will Howard um, K State quarterback room, and and honestly, I know we're gonna talk quarterback room. I under I'll, I'll give that like you can get one spot if your okay. backup's good, but I'm not giving you the number one spot because you have the best backup in the league. Like I'm personally not. That's just because I know you have injuries, but if your starter is average and then your backup is average, then you have an average quarterback room. Or right, if your right. starter is the worst in the league, but then your backup's really good. I'm just not, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. But I got Will Howard, K-State at number two. Then I got Quinn Ewers in Texas at number three. This one is, again, if you're going to have Quinn Ewers in your top three quarterbacks, it is a bet on projection. It is a bet on their offense. It is a bet on Steve Sarkeesian having an offense that is capable with all those receivers. And because of all the weapons he has, I think he's number three on my list. I would agree. I think the potential's there. I love the fact that Malik Murphy stayed, and Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot of him this year. Let Arch sit. He's the future, but I think Quinn has to prove it this year. I mean, he's he's struggled staying healthy since high school. He does, and he's but he is the best NFL prospect right now. So that's big. I put that as tier one. That's my tier one quarterback rooms in the Big 12. Next tier, tier two. And this, to me, a lot of these guys have so many similarities in this group. So I got John Rice Plumley at number four for UCF. He is not a good thrower of the football, but man, he can run the football so well. He's played a ton of football games. And I just think in general, he is their offense uh, for next year. Uh, I got Blake Shapin at number five. Uh, for Baylor. And that's going to surprise some people. They do have Sora Robertson, whatnot. We can debate that going forward. I got Tyler Shuck at number six. And then I got uh, Dylan Gabriel at number seven. And I got Chandler Morris at number eight. And a lot of these guys feel very interchangeable to me, but they all have either put up really good numbers. Some of them are smaller uh, statures than others. Some of these guys have a little more to prove. But I think that group, is, I think there's a pretty clear cutoff after that group. I would agree. I, as far as some of the placement in that group, yeah. I would I would disagree with a little bit. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to put shape in that high. I need to see more from him. I need to see him actually prove it. And I think now that he has more weapons, he's you know obviously more likely to. But I would definitely, I'm not putting him above Gabriel or anybody Gabriel? like that. Okay. No. So, so Gabriel's, I... Gabriel was a tough one for me because I do wonder if last year was empty calories or like the numbers he's putting up. 
it's because the defense at Oklahoma was so bad. Correct. So, to me, that was kind of interesting. The one thing that I do give Dylan Gabriel is they were far better when he was playing versus when he, when he wasn't. And so, that's a big part of your replaceability. I could move him up a spot or two. Like, right. I could see it. What about Chandler Morris being last in that tier? And what about Tyler Shuck? Uh, I'm higher on Shuck than I know Jack and and you. I I am higher on Shuck. I I think that in that system and having another year with Kitley, I think he's going to kind of break out this year. Chandler Morris is one where um, if he plays like he did against Baylor, he could be really good, but that was like a one-off, right? Like so, but I think given the fact that he's the son of a coach, given all of the, the, the coaching he's had around him, um, the programs he's been a part of, the systems he's learned, if he could put it all together and the weapons that TCU has, mm-hmm. I think that's the X factor. I would put Chandler Morris up a little higher. Up a little higher. So based on that... I would flip shape him with them. Okay, so you would go Plumley, Gabriel, Shuck, Morris, Shapin? <clears throat> I would probably put... Yeah, because I, I told Jack yesterday, I feel like Plumley's a more athletic Dylan Gabriel. Okay. Um, yeah, I would probably do that. I would put, but I would put Blake at the end of that. Into that because I need to see him prove it. Okay. So then the next tier we got kind of this group of unknowns a little bit, but also I just don't have a ton of belief in them. Um, Garrett Green, Keaton Slovis, Donovan Smith, Hunter Deckers. This is the next tier of quarterbacks, and that is Garrett Green, West Virginia, Keaton Slovis, BYU, Donovan Smith, Houston, Hunter Deckers, Iowa State. I think that's fair. I would probably put Green at the bottom because he hasn't been able to prove that he can win with his arm. He's more of a running quarterback. Slovis, um, I liked what I heard from him at Big 12 Media Days. He kind of put in perspective why he set the portal as often as he did. Hearing why he left Pitt and went to BYU is real intriguing. Go back and check that interview out if you want to listen to that. So I like him, what he brings. Donovan Smith, I'm I'm not really sure what to – because, I mean, like he was good at times at Texas Tech – but he would also just turn the ball over, make some just poor decisions. Um, who was the last one there? Hunter Deckers. Hunter Deckers. I, I think Hunter Deckers was caught up in the gambling thing. I think you're going to see a lot of J.J. Cole. Yeah. So, I, and I like, I think J.J. Cole has a lot of big upside with him. So Yeah, he's got big upside, but as a freshman, I don't know how much right, I trust right. that. True freshman. Uh, Garrett Green, I actually think when you watch him, you're going to see a lot of John Rice Plumley. Like this That's year, fair. I think he's going to do a lot of the similar things. He's going to help their run game and him and CJ Donaldson. I know people don't have high expectations for West Virginia, but that tandem, very intriguing. My last two and they're in a separate tier is Alan Bowman and Emory Jones. I can't trust Alan Bowman right now. That guy hasn't started meaningful games in college football for what, like three years. Yeah. And Emory Jones, I think Emory Jones is what Emory Jones is at this point. I, I can't see an upside there. And, I, I this is why I struggle with Oklahoma State, and this is why I have Cincinnati as potentially the worst team in the Big Twelve. Uh, I completely agree, honestly, because Bowman hasn't proven it. I mean, he's had flashes his freshman year at Tech, did nothing at Michigan, and while you're sitting, but you're sitting behind JJ McCarty, I'll give him that. So that, yeah. that's the you know the X factor there. But wasn't he the third string? Uh, I he might have been. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I'm yeah. not 100 percent okay. sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm Emory Jones. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Okay, so thanks for that question, Alpha Needle. Thanks, Garrett, for running mm-hmm. through that with me. That was absolutely fun. God, football season. It's almost here. It's almost here, everyone. Yes. All right. Uh, ZT Smith, is the Northwestern safety a take in your opinion? Um, they haven't offered, so he's not a take. I would consider taking him because they do need some help at the safety position. Um, my question here is, you know, is it too late? Like, are we too far in the process to go out and try to add a safety at this position? That's where I'm having trouble um, kind of connecting those dots. But in general, I mean, he's played a lot. His name's Jeremiah Lewis. He played at Duke for three seasons. He played at Northwestern last year. And Baylor is looking at him, evaluating him, but nothing has come of it so far. And camp starts on Thursday. So I don't know exactly what's going to end up happening there. I'd consider it because they have room, but I do have pause for how much of an impact he'll make coming in this late. Good news is he's an older guy, so you would hope that it could work out pretty well. I know that's a roundabout kind of answer to your question, so I think for me, I would take him. 
but I don't, but I can't say that since he doesn't have an offer yet. So I don't, I don't know where the staff is at on that at this very moment, just since no offer's gone out. A big cheese 83. According to both the fan base vibes and national rankings, our 2024 recruiting class is fairly underwhelming. Uh, I never expected us to have a great class this year due to projected class size, as well as how last season ended on top of our 2023 class sort of fizzling out at the final hour. I don't agree with that, but um, however, it, it seems like we already have some good momentum going for 2025. Am I just making this up, or do you think we have a chance to have a very strong recurring class in 2025? So the 2023 class is awesome. Like, I really, really love that class. I, I do think it's a borderline top 25 class. Um, I know that Austin Novosad didn't end up in it. So saying it fizzled in the final hour because they lost him, I understand that. But I also think getting Sora Robertson is making up for it. And I know he doesn't necessarily count to the recruiting class ranking for 2023, but I do think he alleviates those concerns. And in general, outside of that position, I felt like that class was really, really good um, in my eyes. I actually think there'll be a couple freshmen who play a lot for Baylor this year. Uh, 2024, it's interesting. This is not going to be a big class uh, at all. Like, there's a chance they they stop at like 18 commits. So, when it comes to recruiting rankings, it's not going to be very good. Um, you hope that it's like top 40. Um, but if they don't take 20 guys, it's going to be very hard for Baylor to creep inside like the top 35 in this class. Like, it, it's just, it's unrealistic. Um, now, they also need some help when it comes to recruiting rankings because some of their guys, I'm sorry, they're rated too low. And maybe someone will say that I'm biased on this, but Colton Soraki has offers from TCU and Purdue, and he's sitting there at an 84 right now outside the top 200 in the state. Someone needs to explain that to me because that makes no sense. Bo Tate chose between Baylor and TC, or Baylor and Oklahoma State and is like, again, rated extremely too low. He finally got a mini update, but... Not big enough. I just think there's some guys in this class that are severely underrated. Um, and I think that's dragging down everyone's perception of what they actually are. Do I think this class is as good as 2023? No, I don't. I don't. I, I do not view it that way, but I don't think it's a bad class. Now, as far as 2025 goes, very excited with their start there. I think the offensive line in that class is going to be really good. They already have a four-star quarterback committed in that class. Um, I think they're going to attack the wide receiver position very heavily. A big reason for that is once you have your quarterback commit in place, you're able to recruit really, really well uh, at wide receiver and offensive line. And for him to come to camp on Saturday and then stay for junior day and recruit guys, that tells you his buy-in. That tells you the kind of quarterback that they're getting in Adam Schobel. And I think a big thing for him that people maybe haven't talked about enough is the fact that Baylor really hasn't had a quarterback that recruited their class at all. Austin Novosad was not really doing that. He recruited some, but it was not to this level. Shobo has a chance to do it for, you know, a year. Recruit guys for a year and then bring them into the class with him. I think that could pay huge dividends. So, yes, I like where they're at with the 2025 class. Enable, will Travis be invited onto the Bearcats to analyze games in the fall? Um, no, it's going to be Craig and I doing the Bearcast for the most part. Um, you know, maybe we'll have Travis on, but that's not really something we have in the plans. Travis will have tons of articles on the site and uh, all kinds of content. So I think we'll probably stick with it just being Craig and I uh, doing most of the Bearcast content. Uh, Golden Green, fall camp starts in a couple days. Will Johnny Carter make it day one? Um, man, that means he's got to arrive tomorrow or or on Thursday. Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no, he won't be out there day one. I think it'll be sometime during fall camp, but I don't think it'll be the first day of fall camp. But thanks for the questions, everyone. Really appreciate it. Um, great questions this week. Really, really like them. Thank you all so much for doing that. Um, again, Craig will be back next week. We'll have a lot more to cover then. Um, be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium side along with 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. 
Uh, be sure to also check out our Crystal Ball College football channel. Uh, Jack Garrett, myself, Josh Neighbors, we do a great job on there providing all kinds of college football news and notes. So be sure to check that out as well. Um, but that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.